he said something kind of dismissive, like, oh, it's just in your head or whatever. It's not a big deal. Um, but of course it's, I mean, and maybe, you know, in certain ways it's not a big deal, but it's certainly humiliating. And for someone who wanted to connect with women and wanted to experience sex. This is a topic I've been wanting to cover for a while, so I'm excited to welcome Ruan to the podcast. He is a coach and an author, and I would say somewhat of an expert, right, in this topic. We're going to be talking about erectile dysfunction in in men today, but but specifically in young men, because I think this is kind of a new thing that's come up. Um, so welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Melanie. Um, so... Yeah, this is, um, I feel like something that has been traditionally an embarrassing topic or like a topic that holds a lot of shame. Um, so first I just want to say thank you for doing the work that you do. Cause I think it's really important that we all talk about this more, um, and reduce shame in general around sex. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about how you, um, like your story around this and what you yeah. have found on your journey. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's um, like, like you said, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that people don't talk about this because so many guys have this issue and they don't realize so many other guys have this issue. They think they're the one freak. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was kind of my experience. I mean, when I was 23, I started to have like recurring erectile issues in bed and I wasn't super sexually active beforehand. You know, I mean, I had a girlfriend in college and stuff like that, but um, and every once in a while, like everyone has an erection issue here and there, but around when I was 23, it started happening every single time. And then I got in my head about it and I started having anxiety about it and which only caused it to perpetuate. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just forced me into my further and further into my head, which was actually the root of the problem in the first place. Um, cause I was physically healthy otherwise. And, uh, I was so humiliated by it that I was willing to do anything to just get a quick fix. So I started taking Viagra and um, my doctor actually wouldn't give it to me. Um, he said, oh, it's just in your head. He said something kind of dismissive, like, oh, it's just in your head or whatever. It's not a big deal. Um, but of course it's, I mean, and maybe, you know, in certain ways it's not a big deal, but it's certainly humiliating. And for someone who wanted to connect with women and wanted to experience sex and, you know, I want to take advantage of the opportunities uh, to have sex because for most men, I think we live in sexual scarcity, whether or not you have an active dating life. Um, and yeah, so I started taking black market Viagra ordered from India that my roommate ordered and a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of my friends took Viagra, but we didn't, we never admitted to each other why it was always like a kind of a funny thing. Like, oh, we would take it when we would go drinking because, you know, it's not embarrassing. It's embarrassing to just have like an anxiety issue, but it's not so embarrassing to like have whiskey dick for, for instance, um, but then, you know, I started, you know, doing hard drugs, but I, as another, I honestly, I took hard drugs as another excuse to take Viagra. So at a certain point I was a hundred percent dependent on it. Like I would feel nothing down there if I didn't take one. And sometimes I needed to take two pills to get an erection. And, um, 
after maybe like eight months of this or nine months of this, I was like, I'm 23. I'm taking a pill every time I have intercourse. Like, what's it going to be like when I'm 50? Like, am I going to have to take, I mean, cause it's not good for you. Like it thins your blood. It, it's bad for your heart. Like, am I going to do this every single time for the rest of my life? Um, so that forced me to, to start exploring more holistic ways of, of curing what I, what I saw as this major ailment. Um, but it was actually kind of a symptom of a greater problem, which was my anxiety and living in my head and not feeling my body, not feeling my feelings. Um, so I, I went on, excuse me, I went on an exploration of exploring like how to feel my feelings and how to get in touch with the sensations of my body again. And over time I did kick the Viagra dependency and a lot of it was more emotional than it was a physical issue. This is, oh my God, so much good stuff. So first thing that I wanted to speak to was you mentioned sexual scarcity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really good phrase. Um, and it does feel like a place that a lot of men live in of sexual scarcity and just feeling like they're not having enough. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, like, do you feel like that was at all related to the erectile dysfunction or do you think that was sort of a separate issue? Yeah. I mean, they're both related to, I think something even bigger, which is a feeling of inadequacy that is not just, you know, it's not just experienced by men, it's experienced by everyone. And we could maybe theorize for the reasons for that. I'd say maybe just a, a short bit. Uh, consumer society makes us want to makes us feel inadequate. So we have to buy more things and do the next thing and take the next, whatever, whether it's education or fitness or whatever. Um, so I think that's part of our society for men specifically. Uh, our culture kind of enforces this idea that we have to have more sex and we have to chase sex and sex is unavailable unless we do things. I think that's most of people's assumptions about male female dating is based on this and it doesn't even have to do with um whether a guy has it's not i guess nothing to do with like the quantity of sex available i think guys who have had sex available to them throughout their lives because they're good looking or confident or well socialized from a young age they're natural if you will like they still live in sexual scarcity like if you if you see like the type of humor we have around sex and this type of uh and just the ways that men speak about sex is always like you have to get more And um, just to jump ahead a little bit in my story, like there was a point maybe a year into my more holistic exploration where I, where I said no to sex with an attractive woman. And I was, I was 24 at this time. And I, something like dawned in my head where I realized I had never done that in my entire life, which, you know, for a woman, it would be ridiculous to, to say yes, every time there's an opportunity, like no one would put that, like culturally, we wouldn't put that on a woman, but for, um, for me as a man, and I think for most men, like we don't even think about it. It's just like, oh yeah, anytime there's an opportunity to be intimate with a woman, we take it. Like we don't even think about it. It's just like, oh, that's what we're supposed to do. And I realized part of me being disconnected from my feelings was recognizing that a lot of the times that I would compromise what I wanted for that chance to be intimate with a woman, it didn't even have anything to do with my, my, not all, it didn't always have anything to do with my actual sex drive or like, or my or actual arousal or actual hunger for sex in the moment. It was kind of like this construct in my head that I'm a man, I need to be chasing sex. And then, you know, just to finish this thought, I do think it's culturally reinforced where there's this paradigm of women are the keepers of sex and men need to earn it or men need to men are the hunters and women are choosers. It's kind of like an old school dating concept that I think is still very prevalent. 
And um, I mean, there's various reasons for that. I think patriarchal norms, stuff like that. The reason that, um, or rather that women um, don't feel safe expressing their desire, which makes them hold on to it, which makes men chase more, which just perpetuates this feeling of scarcity. So it's kind of a long answer, but uh, yeah, that's, that's what I see about scarcity with sexuality. Yeah, I really like what you said about the <laughs> the dawning realization that you as a man could say no to sex. I've actually heard that from several of my clients. It's like the first time that they're like, oh, wow, I could have sex with this woman and I choose not to. And it's like this whole like, <laughs> like a mind blowing moment because yeah. you said we're, men are so trained, like go after it. If you can get it, get it, like get as much as you can get it as you know fast as you can. Like it's, it's like the, um, like prom or something, right? Like you take her to prom and you're definitely gonna have sex with her after. Like, there's no question of like, are you ready? Not like, is she ready? Not, not right. the rest of it, but like you, like, are you, are you ready? Do you feel safe? Are you, you know, does this feel honoring of you to do this in this moment? Or like you said, do I even, do you even want to, like, do you have the desire level? Like, do you have the hunger? Like, or is it like, oh, I think she might be kind of into me. I should go after her. I should take it as far as I can, as fast as I can. Like, I feel like that's the kind of messaging that men get around sex a lot. Yeah. And, and there's a couple layers to it. It's like, on the one hand, there's this idea that sex is this rare commodity. And so if there's a chance of having it with an attractive woman, you need to take it. But then I also hear from a lot of guys, and I, and I felt this myself, where like, if she, if a woman, we assume like there's culturally an assumption that women don't want sex as much as men, which is not true, but we assume a lot of us assume that. And because of that, it's like, if a woman is aroused and like horny and wants to have sex with you, a lot of guys I've found feel like they have a duty to please her. I mean, we've never look at it the other way. Like if a guy's horny and a woman's not, we'd be like, oh, well, she doesn't, just doesn't want to do it. I mean, at least in like progressive societies, but for some reason, the same guys will be like, well, if she's aroused and I have to please her. And when I, you know, a lot of guys reach out to me with like recurring psychogenic sexual dysfunctions and almost across the board, they have the same, I mean, it's like, it's new information that they, they don't have to perform. Like, it doesn't mean they're less of a man. It doesn't, it's just like, it's actually like the most, uh, you know, empowering thing or like what, what the most empowered men do is like, yeah, I don't actually feel like it right now. So I can say no, like, I don't, sex is not the scarce resource I need to compromise myself for. Like if I want to have it, I have it. If I don't, I don't. And for a lot of guys who are having recurring erectile dysfunction or recurring premature ejaculation, they, they always know it's going to happen before it happens. Like it's a feeling in their body. It's like their, their sympathetic nervous system is overactive. So they, and you can feel it. Like every time that I wasn't able to perform, I knew it four hours beforehand. Maybe I'm still on the date with her. Like I, I already know it's not going to work but I forced myself into it, which is kind of a crazy thing. Like, you know, you're going to be humiliated. Why force your, or you're, you know, your body's not going to have a good time. Why would you force yourself into it? But it's kind of new information for most guys. Oh my God. This is let's, let's go over this because I think this is really interesting. The, first of all, I'm glad you named the word humiliation because my clients talk about that. And I think that's a really, I just feel like that kind of sums it up. And also the, the, um, knowing it's going to happen beforehand and then kind of going through with it anyway. Can you like speak a little bit to why you, I mean, I guess this is what we're talking about is sort of like you are on the date and you were like, I think she's going to be into it. I have to do it because it's available. Was that why you were doing it? Like if you could feel that it wasn't going to, you weren't going to have a good time. Why were you doing it? 
Yeah. It's like the expectation of like, I have to, and you know, we, we didn't talk about pornography yet, but I think um, most guys have watched a lot of porn before they actually see a real vagina. Uh, most of us at least. And um, so like, I mean, a lot of guys, and I've, I've heard this from guys way younger than me and everyone, everyone who grew up in the porn era will speak about how they kind of miss their early pubescence where like they started getting erections all the time and they're like so horny and like this, like the slight breeze would make them arouse. Like, like, like arousal feels good in the body. It feels empowering for everyone. Right. Um, and when, when the guy gets older and I think pornography is a, a primary culprit for like this loss of like organic sex drive. Um, when he's on a date with a woman, he still has it programmed into his head that he has to want sex. Although his body might be numb. He might, I mean, I, a guy just messaged me like two days ago saying like, he wanted my help because in his words, his lower body had become a numb cement block. Like that's like how he described his, like he's became some become so disconnected from his feelings. I think pornography is a big part of that culturalization too, but um, kind of went on a tangent. I forget what your question was. I was um, just, yeah. I mean, I think you, you kind of answered it of like the feeling of obligation um, or like, it was obligation to her, but also just like, oh, shouldn't I want sex? Like I spent from 11 years old. to whenever they're having sex for the first time, like craving it and desiring it and wanting to be close to a female body, like, and then it's there, like, why wouldn't it's like in your head, like, oh, I should want it. I've always been hungry for this certain thing. Like, why am I not all of a sudden? Um, so like, it's that too. And in, in, in addition to wanting to perform for her. Okay. So let's go back to your story. Cause I, I'm curious about two things. One, when you, so you're, this started showing up for you at 23. And, mm-hmm. um, I'm wondering like before that, were you not having as much sex or like, do you I wasn't, a, I didn't have a, I mean, around 23, I think part of what happened for me was that I started, I mean, I moved to Manhattan. I was starting to date a lot. I was a lot more confident than I was when I was younger. So I, I was meeting a lot of women, like when I realized I had a problem was like, uh, like three weeks in a row or so I would go on a date with a woman. She'd want to have sex and I wouldn't perform like that. So like that, that was part of it. Just like the availability. Um, but even when I was younger, I mean, I lost my virginity at 19. Um, but even still my first couple partners, there was like maybe the first time I'd have an issue or the first couple of times I'd have an issue or every, even with like, I had a long-term girlfriend for, and then even every so often I would have an issue. Um, but it was never, uh, it would always go away eventually. Um, and that's actually a thing I hear from other guys too. Like for a lot of guys, it's always in the beginning of an, like a new sexual relationship where it's an issue. And then once you do it a a few times successfully, it usually goes away. But, um, but yeah, to answer your question, that's, um, that was the difference at 23. It was like every time, because there's also a lot of volume of experience I had. And and just to be clear, like when you would masturbate, it was not an issue. Um, it was different. Like, so before, like around the time where I, I got really in my head where I was like, oh man, I have a problem. Like I can never perform. I was also noticing, I think just from the stress of it and the disconnection from my body, um, my erections were weaker. It was harder to get aroused um, also while masturbating. But I think that's like when it gets to the next level of anxiety and I mean, my understanding is the sympathetic nervous system is just, you're in fight or flight like all the time, um, which is sex related, but also I think life related. And that's what makes just erections more difficult in general. 
Yeah. So let's, so let's talk about, I'm really glad that you uh, kind of framed the whole thing around, <laughs> like for you, a lot of it was about getting back into your body and getting and feeling your feelings. Yeah. I'm wondering if you can kind of like walk us through that journey and what, like how you, you figured that out and then how you started to, to do it. Yeah, well, um, I actually found an organization uh, called One Taste that taught um, something called orgasmic meditation and different like embodiment practices. Actually, I'm, I actually thought that's what we were going to speak about today. I, I forgot the context of this. Um, basically, it turned out to be a cult in different ways, but that maybe is another story. But um, they did teach a lot of effective tools for getting in touch with the sensations in my body. And a lot of it wasn't physical. Like I'd say there's two, there's two prongs to the training I got and what ultimately helped me. Like one was the like sensational awareness, like simply just being able to feel my body. I just, I had gone so many years of discounting my physical feelings that of course my arousal was delayed. Um, but attached to that was also emotional communication because our sensations and our emotions are very tied together. Like maybe you found this in your work as well. Like when, yes. uh, when a person is resentful or a couple is resentful at each other, they, they actually can't turn each other on. Like their touch doesn't feel good. And um, so a lot of it for me was learning to express my emotions and feel my emotions. And because feelings are feelings, whether they're physical or emotional and to block one. I mean, Brene Brown says this, like you can't selectively numb. So I had gone many years of living in my head and like, numbing out my emotions and like fighting my emotions, not even just numbing them out, like being in like direct contention with my own feelings um, when it came to everything. So of course, or uh, ultimately what a result, what the result was that my arousal, which is also a feeling kind of died away. And when you say that, so, so for example, you might feel angry at someone and you mm -hmm. would talk yourself out of like, I shouldn't feel angry because, or I'm not an angry person or like, what would be an example of how would you kind of convince yourself that wasn't real? Yeah, I would, I would stuff it down. Like with anger, I'd think like, oh man, anger is not a productive emotion. Like I would maybe, I think uh, people call it a spiritual bypass now. I'd be like, oh, well, this person is forgivable for whatever they did to me. And I would just like compartmentalize the emotion. Um, and sorry, there's an airplane going over me. Um, but a lot of it was like avoiding things like guilt and grief and sadness and anything that made me feel weak, I would avoid. Um, and then, yeah. And even, even my desires, I think was a big piece of it. Like I was, I was, uh, I was really into being productive and I was a self-help junkie and I would, you know, try to optimize everything and create, uh, plans to achieve my material goals. And a lot of that meant fighting against what felt good to me, like whether it was getting up early or going to the gym when I didn't feel like it, not that these things are bad, but I was constantly fighting against the information of my body. So your body was saying, I need rest. And you were saying, we've got to go to the gym. We've got to do things. We've got to motivate. We've got to produce. We've got to like that. Yeah. That would yeah. be, yeah, that'd be a great example. I actually got injured many times throughout my athletic career because I just didn't listen to, maybe I just needed one day of rest, but I forced myself to work out again. I think this is a really good point because our bodies have immense wisdom and I don't feel like our culture actually supports us in listening to that wisdom. Like, I think there are more messages, especially for men around pushing, striving, doing, achieving, and there's not that much about listening to the cues that are coming from, from your body. 
especially around rest, closeness, uh, connection. It's like, you just like, you skip over that feeling of wanting that and just go straight to porn or food or alcohol or whatever it is that helps you basically, like you said, like numb out that feeling of wanting closeness or wanting the rest. And if we were taught differently, I think there'd be a lot fewer issues. Because our totally. bodies know how to do a lot of what we need. Yeah, I, I think it really is a societal thing. This might be a, like a gross like way to put it, but like um, gross in the sense of like expansive or or blunt. Like uh, the industrial revolution really did train society to think of ourselves as machines, and like can we produce more? And like you said, like people find ways to recover so that they just can be an efficient cog in a machine. Even our education system uh, is built that way to like, just be productive. Like from a young age, we're kind of taught to deny our feelings in some way to sit still, to not be outside, whatever, you know, this is not new new. These aren't new ideas, but um, yeah, I think, you know, this, uh, the fact that we, there is an epidemic of young men with psychogenic erect uh, sexual issues, I think is uh, a longstanding result of all of these, societal forces when you say can you explain that for the listeners what does that mean that phrase that you're using psychogenic sexual issues uh psychogenic just means it it's uh, it starts in the mind or starts in the psyche as opposed to like someone who has like a a physical issue that a urologist needs to be seen about um right so there are men that yeah. actually have erectile dysfunction which is the blood doesn't get to their penis in the right way for them to be able to have an erection. And that's not really what we're talking about in this episode. We're talking about men who physically are capable of that, but are experiencing, but aren't able to get an erection. Like they're physically capable of it, but they're not psychosomatically capable of it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So back to your story. So you find one taste, you um, basically get, trained in how to come into your body more Mm -hmm. and also how to get into your emotions more like talk to me talk me through that that journey yeah i mean um like i said it was kind of a cult environment like it was kind of an alternate reality to conventional reality and like as you went deeper in it was kind of an inclusive world where the norms were different where there was definitely some negatives to that whole thing obviously i mean brainwashing did occur but one of the benefits which definitely helped me was that it was uh, so far removed from the conventions of society that uh, we could kind of all start fresh. So what I mean by that is like just the social norms uh, were very different. It was totally normal to speak about your deep emotional anything at breakfast. It was totally normal to call someone out when you felt angry. It's like they gave a lot of approval for whatever your emotions were, which was so healing for me because I had gone pretty much my whole, maybe not my entire life, but since early childhood, maybe I, denying my emotions. So it was kind of like, it felt like this euphoric high to be able to talk about my feelings and express my feelings. And I did actually get some direct coaching around this issue. And my coach, um, he wasn't very good with words, so he didn't explain it to me well, but what I eventually got out of him was, um, or one thing he would suggest to me is like, when I'm in bed with a woman and I know it's not going to work, or I'm afraid it's not going to work. or I'm feeling that anxiety, simply talk about it. It was like, almost like willfully humiliating myself which actually, you know, made a lot more sense uh, as opposed to, I mean, like Brene Brown speaks about this with shame too. Like, I forget, I'm not going to quote her now, but like um, 
if you're willing to be vulnerable and open up, it's like you're putting light on the dark spot that is your shame. So I'd be in bed with a woman and I would pretty much say some version of, hey, so uh, just so you know, there's this thing where I, I've been dependent on Viagra for a while. I'm trying to get off of it. So I, uh, I, I probably won't get hard or it might, it might, th- there might be an issue or something. And the first time it was really hard to say that. Um, the second time it was hard to say that. But it, actually, it wasn't as humiliating as not talking about it and it just not working because then we'd both be in our head. She'd be wondering if there's something wrong with her. I'd be in my head trying to fix it. Of course, that didn't work. Um, so anyway, after a few times of this, of like just speaking about how it felt and getting a, a positive reaction or even a neutral reaction, basically finding out that she wasn't going to hate me. She wasn't going to make fun of me. She wasn't going to add to my humiliation. I realized that like my shame just like started to go away and then it started to feel fine. And a combination of that and being open about it and, um, and learning more about how to connect with the sensations of my body eventually had this issue go away. Okay. One thing I love about what you just said is um, what I hear in that story is that you took control of the encounter for yourself. So instead of feeling maybe like helpless or like, shit, I know this isn't going to (laughs) go the way that I want it to. And I just sort of like on this train ride of like humiliation, it's like, um, I'm taking control of it and speaking to it and risking the reaction because I think that's part of what um like you were saying with the shame part of the uh part of the way that shame works is that it it is secretive and Mm -hmm. we don't want to talk about it and we don't want to share it or admit it or whatever it is but actually shame dies in the light and when we start to talk about it especially with safe people I mean I'm impressed that you did it because you're in bed with a new woman. You don't know how she's going to react, but it sounds like you did this with a number of different women. And when you described it, if I were the woman receiving that, I'd be like, Oh, okay. That's not a problem. Thank you for letting me know. Versus you aren't letting me know. And obviously I can tell there's something going on, but I don't know what. And like you said, I, as the woman would definitely assume it was me. Like yeah. I'm not hot enough. I'm not pretty enough. He doesn't like me enough. He's not getting hard because he doesn't want me. Like, this is something that I think, um, I don't know how much men know about the other side, but I do feel like there's a, there's a response that happens on her side that is also shame-based. And it's so much easier if the man just says like what you said of like, Hey, heads up, this is a thing for me. I'm working on it. And it's not about you. Like, totally. Like, oh, wow. That show totally you just changed the equation. Like now I don't feel stressed out and like, I'm happy to be here with you. Like we don't have to have intercourse. There's lots of other shit we can do. Um, totally. Thank you for telling me. Yeah. I think, I think this is kind of just a fundamental truth of relating to people is most people are concerned about themselves. And <laughs> like, I think, you know, guys don't realize that probably a lot of women don't realize that about men. Like we all want to make sure that we're seen. Okay. And that's, that's one part of it. Like we all have egos, but also I think a big piece that you just touched on is for me, and I've seen this in a lot of guys also is this idea that we have to perform sexually to be liked. Like we have to be this perfectly virile macho man or, or something like we have to show our virility to be liked. And one thing it did for me and one thing that helped me drop the shame was realizing kind of what you just said, like, Oh, I don't have to, 
fuck her like a porn star. Actually, maybe it's probably better. I don't, I don't have to fuck her like the perfect person, perfect guy in bed, a sexual God for her to like me. Like she can just like me. Like, even if we don't have sex, she still might want to see me. And that that's news to a lot of guys when they feel a lot of pressure. And, and actually, I mean, I think a lot of us probably have a lot of guys have wounding around stuff like that, where because they're not being vulnerable because they are shameful because they lack confidence or whatever reason, many of us have had experiences where something that seems to be superficial blows our chance with a woman or like, I mean, a lot of guys I know, especially guy, especially now that I speak about this a lot, guys will open up to me about how they're on Viagra and they're young or something like that. And I, I one of my good friends actually said like, yeah, I saw what you wrote about Viagra. And like, I agree with you. Like, it's really bad that, you know, there's all these companies peddling Viagra to young, young guys. Uh, but then he was like, you know, like I had the same issue too. And if I, I'm afraid that if I didn't have Viagra on me on my first date with my fiance, she wouldn't have stayed with me because he's had experiences like that where he couldn't perform on a first date and she didn't want to see him again. And I've had experiences like that. That was actually part of when I was 23, like one of the humiliating moments I remember, actually a couple, like there were two different women I really liked. I went on dates with them. It was in the same period. It might've been in the same month and I couldn't perform on the first night. And then she didn't really want to see me again. And they would say like, Oh yeah, I didn't feel a connection. But in my head, I'm like, Oh yeah. I mean, if I had sex with her and she had a great time, she would have wanted to see me again. And there's maybe an element to that, you know, women have their own insecurities and stuff, but had I been vulnerable and communicative and, and let her know what was going on for me, she probably would have been cool with me not having sex with her the first time. She probably would have forgave that. And like, she probably one of the reasons why these women rejected me was that they were, they felt bad in the ways that you just described as well. Yeah. And, and there's the whole, um, like I'm a sex researcher and I've looked at the data and women say over and over that it's not about the man getting hard or staying hard. It's about, are you here with me in the moment? Can I feel your body? Are you feeling my body? Are we breathing together? Like not Tantra style breathing. I mean, that's, that's great. That's not lovable. Just like, there's so many men that are in bed and they're in their head and they're not actually with me. And that's not a pleasurable experience, whether or not having intercourse. And so I, but I think like you said, there's, there's such a focus on performance for men and all of this is connected because I think we should bring it back around to porn at this point, because the amount of porn that men consume and then, and the messages that they're getting from that porn is that they, that this is critical, right? That fucking her like a porn star, like you said, I feel like is part of what they perceive as their job as a man. Right. That's repeatedly not what shows up in the research that I am conducting on thousands of people, specifically women. And so there's this disconnect between what men are looking at and consuming and thinking is their sexual role. And then the reality of what women, women want. So I'm wondering like, did you in your journey also stop watching porn as part of your journey? Cause I've heard from lots of my clients that that has really helped their sexual performance. Yeah. I mean, I, I around this time I did stop watching porn and it kind of happened organically. Cause when I started doing things like taking workshops with, with one taste and like experiencing real connection, even like non-sexual connection, just like really connecting with people. I noticed my urge to masturbate to porn kind of went away and I've seen this in, in many other guys as well. Like 
one, one way of putting it is men do need to experience sympathetic arousal. Like you, you, obviously women watch porn too, but you never hear of a female porn addict. Like it's kind of a male thing. And one, one explanation for that is uh, men want to experience their sympathetic arousals, like wired into us, meaning like we want to see and experience a woman feeling pleasure, which is why we're so drawn and easily addicted to watching a, a video of a woman coming on a screen, right? It tr- kind of tricks our mind. What you mean by sympathetic arousal, just so we all... Uh, yeah, like feeling, we, like we get aroused by the sight of a woman feeling aroused. Right. And, you know, women experience that too, but I think there's something about like male biology that has it be more pronounced. So we want to watch a woman coming on screen. Like, cause when you think about like the way, you know, not to be too graphic, but whatever, I mean, the way men masturbate, you know, is not particularly sensational as far as like the actual physical feelings, right? Like we're using our hand, you know, it's not like, it's not particularly, you know, it's not like actually touching, being touched by a woman, for instance, but the, the site, the video uh, or the image or whatever that we're watching is particularly stimulating um, and it gives us that dopamine, that, that pleasure dump, but it doesn't give us the oxytocin dump that comes from actually being with someone, which is why in my experience and in, in what have I seen in a lot of guys, like when we actually start feeling connection, we actually get that oxytocin uh, dump in our brains, our urge to like, compulsively masturbate or like run to a computer or like need to jerk off to fall asleep at night starts to go away. And, um, and like, this is kind of a thing, not even with porn and, and like with all addictions, like a lot of times the root of it is some sort of loneliness or disconnection from people, which is why, you know, even, even substance abuse programs really focus on getting people to feel the experience of connection, because when we feel alone, that's when we do compulsive things that are harmful to us, or we're more likely to, when we feel connected, we're part of this like greater thing, this greater superorganism. We don't feel like uh, doing something shameful necessarily. Um, Anyway, that's a long answer for, for, uh, for porn, but I think, you know, that is, that is the root of it and something across the board for, for guys, whether they have sexual issues, they want to have better sex or better dating life or connect with people better. I always recommend they stop watching porn. Yeah. I really like what you said too, about connection being at the heart of it, at the heart of, because there's a lot of research coming out about exactly what you said of connecting the, the root of a lot of addiction is loneliness and disconnection mm-hmm. and the, the, the substance or the behavior, whatever it is for a lot of men, it's alcohol for a lot of other men, it's porn. It's like the feeling of isolation or disconnection and then porn. Like there's no, it, it's not an actual conscious awareness. I am lonely. Therefore I am going to watch porn. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, there's no, that, that awareness takes something, takes something to get to for a lot of men, it's just automatic. It's just, right. it's just a, Oh, I do this to fall asleep. Oh, I do this to like, there's no awareness of that as being the root cause. And what I love about what you said is that as you were taking trainings, connecting to people, getting more oxytocin and just feeling more connection in general, you naturally started to watch porn less. And that yeah. is beautiful because it's not, you weren't forcing yourself to do it it was a natural byproduct of becoming more connected. Yeah. And like most guys, if you ask them, especially guys born in or after the porn era, uh, haven't gone a single day without jerking off to porn or jerking off in some fashion. And, you know, aside from the pornography and like the negatives to, to the brain, 
um, just frequent ejaculation kind of depresses you <laughs> like it, you know, that's where like the no fat movement, which you may be uh, familiar with has become so popular. Like a lot, a lot of guys realize when they stop jerking off in general or stop ejaculating all the time, especially to porn, their lives kind of just, they, they feel more energy. They, they are less depressed. Um, and like, just like, just the fact that most guys don't realize that because they haven't gone a single day since puberty without jerking off to something, um, is like, it's like a fish to water. It's like, it's something that more guys need to be aware of. Yeah. I'm glad you spoke to that. So the, I don't know if all of the listeners are familiar with the no fat movement, but it's FAP, not like fat, like you're obese. Yeah. Um, but it's, um, yeah, it's, I mean, this has been known about for centuries that a man's life force, his chi is wrapped up in, in this whole equation. But I feel like for modern men, especially like Western men, they don't actually know that it's not something that we've been taught, but can you speak briefly? Cause I, I'm pretty sure you're educated in this. Like what happens to a man's life force when he, when he stops ejaculating all the time? Yeah. Um, you just feel more alive. And actually there's, I mean, speaking on like the more ancient or esoteric techniques, um, there's a lot on this. Uh, Tantra speaks about this a lot and Taoist sexuality. And I, I actually teach about it on a, in a course online. Um, but the, the root of it is like learning to reinvest your arousal. Like, so it's not, it's not being celibate and cutting yourself off because you could do that. That is better than overspending your life force. But um, what a lot of these practices teach is to reinvest it in your body so you actually can use your sex drive it's not like you cut it off you use your sex drive towards productive means so instead of ejaculating all the time uh, you reduce the amount of ejaculation you still feel the amount of arousal maybe maybe you continue to have sex maybe you, you continue to pleasure yourself um, but you don't ejaculate every time and that arousal stays within you I mean that she your life force if you will and you have more aliveness that you can use towards creative work or motivation or whatnot like like, uh, you know, I, I, I practice ejaculation control or arousal control regularly. So I don't come every time I have sex and the days that I don't come or the, the, even the days afterwards, I'm just like more awake. It's like, uh, as opposed to just feeling a little sleepy from, from coming because it does depress your nervous system. Yeah. And it's, I find this whole thing really fascinating because, um, it's, it's pretty different. The feminine and the masculine experience orgasm in different ways and, like specifically ejaculation, like, um, a man ejaculating, like you said, the men that I know that choose to do arousal control, they, they, especially the day after, like you said, like they have more energy, they feel, um, like they're not as, um, sad, right? Like their mood is lifted. So it's like mood enhancement, energy enhancement, like all of these benefits. Whereas, for a lot of women, um, having more orgasms is actually gives them energy, <laughs> like helps them feel their body. Like it's, it's almost like flipped, you know? So yeah. it's like one of those things that I think is, I am riveted by that. Like the actual physical differences between the way like the feminine runs energy and the way the masculine runs, runs energy. I don't know. I'm just, I'm like fascinated by that because there's a lot of women who, should be coming a lot more <laughs> right? <laughs> and who should be ejaculating a lot less. And like both of them would have more energy if that was, if that was happening. 
Totally. And um, yeah, if I may just plug my program, because I, I break down the uh, like the actual techniques for men in case they want to learn more. I think it would take it would take the rest of the podcast to go through them at um, arousalcontrolsecrets.com. I share for free information on that. But I did want to touch on something you just said uh, as far as um, like the differences. Like if you look at it just biologically, not even from like an energetic standpoint or anything esoteric, just like from a genetic standpoint, uh, our genes want us to reproduce and a man, obviously, his contribution to reproduction is his sperm. And after he comes, he's kind of fulfilled his duty. Like women have a greater responsibility physically with, with like the creation of a child. Like it's in, it's in your bodies. But for men, I mean, there's a reason why, I mean, nature uh, has designed males that like once they come and they fulfill that part of reproduction, they, they're kind of not needed. So our bodies do sacrifice ourselves after we come, which is why it's beneficial to not come so much. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, so in your own journey, um, you got back into your body, you started feeling your feelings, you naturally started watching less porn. And then at what point did you start choosing to do arousal control? And how did that kind of affect your romantic life? So not just um, your, yeah, physical body, but your interactions. Yeah, they're kind of mixed in because I had read um, The Multi-Orgasmic Man, which is a book by Montak Chia, who actually lives like 40 minutes from me here in Thailand. Um, a long time, even before I had sex, I was like aware of arousal control. I was aware of like having sex without coming long before I had sex. Um, but yeah, around this time, I was like in a deep dive with like sexual, spiritual, emotional awareness and stuff. And I'm glad you brought up the uh, the romantic component because I honestly, even as, even as someone who teaches about it in this industry, and I, and I share this like online when I talk about it, I, I think some of the benefits of ejaculation, of non-ejaculating are kind of um, exaggerated sometimes. Uh, so I just want to be clear with that. But one, there's a couple of things that are very like, uh, I think objective or like um, unquestionable benefits. And one is actually non-sexual to your point, which is when I have sex with a woman and I come naturally during the refractory period, I'm kind of less interested in her. Like I, I, you know, it doesn't matter if I love her or like her or however much, like it's just kind of harder to pay attention. I'm less connectable for the hours that I'm recharging. I think most men experience some version of that, that if they notice, like a lot of guys I coach on relationships will notice like right after they come or if they're coming frequency frequently, that's when they have the most fights because they're not really paying attention to, they're not as present. They're just not driven for that. Whereas if you have sex with your partner and you don't come, your body is still activated. Your body is still in hunt mode. So like your focus and your quality of attention on her is so much better. Like I think more than anyone, like the guys who should be practicing this are those in long-term relationships because uh, you'll just find your partner more interesting when you've had sex with her and hadn't come yet. Like your body is just primed to still pay attention to her. And I've found that most women find that to be very um, great. <laughs> very awesome. Yeah, It'll make you a better boyfriend. Cause the feminist is, is wants attention, like quality right. attention, quality presence, quality attention. That's what has her feel nourished. And so I, I really like what you said. And I also, um, yeah, I'm glad that you also spoke to like p- perhaps the overstatement of of the benefits of um, non-ejaculatory orgasm or however you want to say. It. There's like all of these buzzwords in terms of like arousal. Right. Um, but I'm glad that you spoke to sort of like, I mean, like in your experience, like there are some benefits and then it's not like every single thing in your life is going to get better. 
but um yeah because even the nofap community they talk about superpower like i've been on some of these forums just to research like nofap became a thing on the internet like years after i got into this i wasn't like in it myself but um, i think it's great for for getting guys to not jerk off all the time but there's some even within that community they talk about achieving superpowers on day 90 of abstinence and stuff i'm like man that's like one it's not really true i mean you can exaggerate i mean you can uh, colorfully call it superpowers but it's simply you being a normal person as opposed to being a depleted man um so that is important but it's i wouldn't call them superpowers and like there's so much more to focus on than just not jerking off. Like that's my main criticism of the NoFap movement. Like it's great for getting guys to not watch porn all the time. But a lot of these guys are like white knuckling through life, just trying not to look at porn. Whereas they should be using that energy to do something with their lives, create their, you know, build a business, follow their passion, be a great lover in a non-sexual way as well. Like, like life isn't just about not coming. Uh, So I just want to say that for everyone. Yeah. And also, what I like about what you said, what I heard in your journey was, you know, you took trainings and you learned how to get in your body and you put attention on connection. And so it wasn't just that you stopped masturbating. Right. right? It wasn't Cause like you said, the white knuckling, like it's not enough to just stop drinking. Like you also right. you're actually going to get, get sober and live a great life. You have to also, like you said, get into your body and feel your feelings. Like everyone, I I would say at least 85% of the men that I work with have grief and rage that they haven't processed yet. Like childhood, but it's like, that is the, that is at the root of like a lot of this stuff. And if so, if you're just stopping the behavior, you know, your, your poor body, because your body is using that as a self-soothing technique. There's a reason totally. you go to the alcohol or you go to the porn. It's your poor little nervous system is just trying to regulate itself. And so if you take away its regulation mechanism without actually addressing the reason it's regulating in the first place, then you're just, you're kind of just being cruel to yourself. Like that's actually not like, okay, it's healthy to stop drinking because it's killing your liver or like masturbating because it's leaving you depleted. But there has to be an and there if you're going to do it in a healthy and holistic way, which is like, oh, also taking the trainings, getting somatic therapy, like going through a program, you know, doing something else to help your system out. Cause it doesn't yeah. have to just stop something. You just hit on something that I think is really important. And also like one of these, um, uh, objective thing or like, uh, obvious things that I see when guys start practicing arousal control or something like that, or, or even abstaining from their vices or their soothing techniques, sugar, alcohol, whatever, like, and I hear this from a lot of guys also, you, you have to stop kidding yourself. Like when you, like whether it's something like an intuition to quit your job or be in or out of a relationship or act a certain way that's more authentic to yourself. Like when you, when you get rid of your soothing technique, when you get rid of your compulsive behavior, like you're just there with your feelings. Like you can't, it's harder. To, I mean, you, the soothing technique is to numb them out. So when you're not numbing them out, like you have to do something with them. And a lot of guys I've, seen and I also with myself like my rage that my rage that I had been spiritually bypassing for years suddenly became undeniable I had to get real with the places where I was angry I had to get real about the places where I was being inauthentic and making myself small to fit into something that wasn't even resonant with me in the first place like and that's one of the beautiful things I mean like you said like if you don't seek some sort of way to process it or something to 
put that energy into or like learn some way to, to use it. It can make you go crazy. Um, but it's also kind of like your raw material for being yourself, like being yeah. your actual actualized self. Yeah. I'm glad you spoke to that because there's so much energy and power in that rage or the grief that's being numbed. Like that is the fuel for transformation. And that's why I think it's so helpful to like get into safe groups or safe place, you know, places where you can process those emotions in a safe way. Cause I think, like you said, like there's like, just as rage, as an example, there's a perception of like, Oh, all rage is bad. All anger is bad. And so like anything, you know, anytime I feel angry, I'm wrong. And it's like, rage isn't bad. Attacking people is bad. <laughs> like, like processing it in a way of, of hitting other people, not okay. But there's lots of other ways to process something like, like anger and rage. And um, I know we're going to start to wrap here, but I'm just wondering if you could speak to that in your experience of how did you find healthy outlets for that, for those emotions? Yeah, this is actually something I break down. Like a lot of my arousal control course, I mean, part of it is physical training, but a lot of it's like what to do with your feelings afterwards. That's that's the place where I see a lot of guys um, trip up. So, I mean, what I, in general, what I suggest to people, to men is that you have to like honor the impulse, but like you said, you don't actually have to act on your first impulse, right? Like if you're angry, you have to be like, okay, this anger is driving me towards this action. Maybe punch this guy in the face, but I'm not actually going to punch him in the face. How can I still be an integrity to that impulse to, which is coming out as wanting to punch, but put in another way that's actually still an integrity with the impulse. So I'm not numbing it out, but I'm also, um, uh, expressing in a way that's not going to get me arrested or somehow negatively impact my life. So, some, some, I've, I mean, people open up to me, so I hear some dark stuff, like the stuff they wouldn't share in public, like rape fantasies and, and, and violence fantasies and all these things, which in my opinion, at least in a healthy person, becomes perverted and super dark when you've repressed it for a really long time. Like someone who like has the fantasy to slit throats probably had the, had an angry impulse 10 years ago and he numbed it out and numbed it out and numbed it out. And like that whole time it was festering in the dark part of his psyche. And now it finally comes out as like something really violent. Um, so finding something that, you know, there's not like a rule for what it is, but I think a lot of guys experience this too with sexual expression. Like uh, so many guys, especially, especially nowadays where there's a lot of great education on consent and, and men not being assholes. I found in a lot of young guys, they've taken that to mean, Oh, I can't have sexual desire, which is another topic we haven't even got into, which maybe we can't get into today about like how uh, certain male impulses have been demonized. And it's not the impulse is bad. It's like, they're obviously toxic expressions of like, let's say the desire of or like lustful desire for a woman, but right. that in itself, lust is not bad. Um, so a guy who sees a woman and like wants to grab her breasts or just stick himself inside of her, like, okay, you're not going to do that. Right. But how can you still be integrity with that real genuine impulse that maybe a lot of women want to feel from you just in a healthy, uh, socially acceptable way. I mean, you can bring that lustful, I want to rip her clothes off feeling into saying hello. Um, which, um, yeah, I mean, it takes some nuance, but these are, this is how flirting, that's basically what flirting is in, in uh, kind of a gross nutshell. Right, right. So um, in terms of your own like personal experience of processing those emotions that were coming up, did you find anything helpful in terms of specifically the rage? 
with rage, I mean, I'm looking back at like the time it really came out. Um, it did come out in a, in an unhealthy way. When I started opening up to my feelings, I def I picked a fight with my roommate who's actually a good friend of mine, but I had let a year of dirty dishes build up and I threatened to break his face. I don't think that's healthy. <laughs> we, we could have, we could have talked it out and it, we, we should have talked it out eight months earlier and it would have come out in like, just like a mildly uncomfortable conversation. Um, so I would say it was what actually is healthy is just talking about how you feel. You can tell someone, I feel angry. You can even tell someone like, I want to strangle you, but not do it. And like, here I am talking it out because I realize I'm angry and we need to talk about it. Um, yeah. Other physical things though. I mean, this is kind of basic, but I think it's very effective. I mean, there is some, there's a destructive element in, in males. You see this even in little boys, like, getting a punching bag and wailing it out till exhaustion is great. It's also good for your fitness. I mean, I, I, I was in a really tumultuous relationship at one point and my best therapy was swinging a sledgehammer in the backyard. And I always felt better. I always felt Zen afterwards and it could be that simple. Yes. Wiffle bat and pillows, uh, punching bags. They, they, these things really do, they move energy. It's real. Totally. And it's better than breaking your roommate's face. Um, I really like that example, though, because I think that it's super duper common, like you said, to go for eight months holding something back. And we do this in romantic relationships, too. Instead of like, I need to talk to you about this and I'm really scared to bring it up and I don't want to piss you off. And I realized I'm not okay with it. Like, we need to talk about the dishes. Totally. Like we, none of us, almost none of us had that role model to us in our families. So right. we never learned how to do it. We never saw adults do it. Like we don't know the words to say or how to say, I'm not okay with this. And I'm also scared of bringing it up. Like I'm scared of, of what you're going to say. I'm having all these feelings and I know I need to say it to be in integrity with myself and to want to keep being your roommate and for us to feel connected. Like that's the ultimate goal, right? Is for the dishes to get done, but also like for us to preserve our relationship, like as friends, that's important. Totally. Okay. So as we're wrapping up here, um, why don't you tell yeah, our listeners how they can get in touch with you? And then any last words that you have to say, if there is a guy listening who, who is struggling with um, premature ejaculation or erectile dysfunction. Totally. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, all of my work is at ruando.com. And um, the program I mentioned, I offer a free training and also more in-depth training is at arousalcontrolsecrets.com. I break down the fundamentals of understanding arousal control, some physical techniques that you can practice immediately. I, I mean, my goal with that was to take a lot of the esoteric knowledge from from even from greats like Montauk Chia and, and Tantra and like make it a lot more practi- uh, practical and uh, doable, which is, I think, the issue for a lot of this information with like the average guy and also what to do with your feelings afterwards. So that's at arousalcontrolsecrets.com. And um, yeah, my final, my parting thoughts for any guys with a psychogenic dysfunction, whether it's erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation, which kind of have the same root if it is psychogenic, is um, you have to feel your feelings and I, we didn't talk about this, but it's kind of the root of all development, which is learning to love yourself. Like, I, I think I meant to say this earlier, we went on a tangent, but, um, you know, when you get to the point where you can speak about this thing you're ashamed of with a woman you're attracted to or afraid of losing, <clears throat> it's like the most, is the most, um, 
defiant act of love or like the most like bold act of love is like, no matter what this person does or thinks of me with this vulnerable information, I still have my own back. And when guys have like psychogenic sexual dysfunctions and they have this anxiety recurring in them, a lot of times they're abandoning themselves, even as simple as like forcing themselves to have sex when their body isn't aroused. Like a person who really loves themselves does not do that. Um, so a lot of this journey is, it's not about, you know, lasting longer or getting hard. It's about learning how to be a complete man. Wow. Well said. And I just want to add on to that, that self-love includes loving your anger and includes loving your darkness. It's not just loving your light. It's all of it. And Absolutely. That's a challenge. <laughs> Cause I think it's, yeah. <laughs> I love, I love myself. It's like, do you love the part of you that, you know, you're ashamed of? Cause that's the work. I feel like <laughs> that's the real work. Yeah. Um, all right. Awesome. Thank you. And so your site was rwando.com and right. arousal secrets. What was it? Say it again. Uh, arousal control secrets.com. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Just again, a quick note. If you're interested in the course, you can find it at pleaseherinbed.com, www.pleaseherinbed.com or at my site, melaniecurtain.com under courses and have a very sexy day.